familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. If you're listening to a podcast such as The Boob Group, you probably want to breastfeed your baby. But what happens when life throws you a curveball and you're unable to breastfeed? What? Is that even possible? Weren't our bodies designed to nourish our babies? If you're a mom struggling with not being able to breastfeed your baby, you're not alone. And sometimes you just need to let go. We're The Boob Group. I use a breast pump. I hand express milk for my baby. I exclusively breastfeed. I use a nipple shield. I breastfed after a C-section. I use a milk bank. I breastfeed in public whenever I feel like it. I pump at work. I breastfeed with a cover. I breastfeed twins. I give my baby bottles. I made my own supplemental nursing system. I supplement with formula. I talk to my baby while I breastfeed. I'm breastfeeding as a survivor of sexual abuse. When I have extra milk, I share it with other mom we are equal we are the boob group welcome to the boob group we're here to support all moms wanting to provide breast milk for their babies i'm sunny galt if this is your first time listening thanks so much for giving us a try if you're a regular listener then please join us on a future episode and it's now easier than ever to be part of our podcast because you can join our conversations straight from your home computer which is awesome because you don't have to get a babysitter maybe someone just kind of watch your kids while you're recording <laughs> visit newmommymedia.com for more information and we're also looking for episode ideas. We've done a bunch of episodes for the boob group. I think it's we're over 160 episodes for the boob group now. So um, we always want to hear what ideas you have when it comes to topics for our show. So let us know. You can email us. You can post something to our Facebook page. Uh, you can send us a voicemail through the website, whatever is easiest for you. So let's meet the moms and the ladies, I guess I should say, joining our conversation today. So Leslie, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with today's topic. Hello, I'm Leslie. I am from Hoboken, New Jersey, and I have two daughters. One is five and one is one and a half. And my breastfeeding experiences were valiant efforts, but best. <laughs> um, with my first daughter, I breastfed for 12 days that included contact nipple shields and a pump and supplementation and postpartum depression. We can get into all of that a little bit later. So that was my 12-day journey. And with my second daughter, I was determined to make it last longer. But her lip tie, tongue tie, and apparently flat nipples led to disaster there too. So we pumped for about a month. And by the end of the first month of her life, um, we had had help for a little while and she left. And all suddenly it was just me pumping and feeding and it was not happening. So we stopped after about a month there too. Well, thank you so much for being part of our show. And Christine is our expert. We'll introduce her uh, as an expert a little later on. But Christine, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Well, hi, Sunny. Thanks for having me. Um, my name's Christine, and I'm a lactation consultant down in San Diego. And I actually first became involved with breastfeeding, witnessing my own mom struggle with my sister, Carrie, who's a special needs baby. And um, ever since then, I've been passionate about helping moms overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And I've been working in public health for the past nine years um, as a lactation consultant and a dietitian. So, Wonderful. Well, ladies, thank you for being part of our show. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. <coughs> Sound familiar? <coughs> if your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. So before we kick off our episode today and our discussion about moms who are unable to breastfeed, we have a news headline that I want to share with you. And this just kind of warmed the heart. I, I love sharing positive breastfeeding stories. And this is out of Sydney, Australia. And it does kind of center around a photo. So I'll make sure to post that to our Facebook page so you guys can check it out. So there is a restaurant that's in Sydney, Australia. I believe it, they call it a cafe. So I think it's like tea and coffee and probably some, you know, light food. Um, but they have this sign that they put out. Um, it's regarding breastfeeding in public, and they just want moms to feel a little bit more comfortable with breastfeeding in their store. So there's this sign that they put, I believe it's in the window of their store. And, you know, I'll just kind of read it for you guys. It says, breastfeeding mums, and it's mums because it's Australia, right? And they sound really cool when they say that. Um, it says, pop in and have a free cup of tea if you need a pit stop. No need to eat, no need to ask. Just relax. And that has a nice little smiley face. So such a positive message, especially when so many moms feel uncertain, you know, when they're going out into public and breastfeeding, as we're going to talk about today, there's a lot of issues, you know, issues that can come with breastfeeding and it can be challenging for a lot of moms. And um, so just to kind of get this kind of vote of confidence, you know, seeing a sign like this in a window, I know, you know, when I'm out and about, if I saw a sign like this, it would make me feel pretty good. So um, Leslie, I know you have a little bit different perspective with this because you tried breastfeeding and it you know didn't quite work out for you but what do you what do you think about this article and and this sign that this uh, cafe put out I am however they need to get fed and however they will get fed so I honestly think this is amazing and to have that welcoming nurtured feeling for moms anywhere you can is great there's you know shame and stigma that come with breastfeeding as much as it's recommended by so many people people still make you feel bad for doing it in certain places Christine, what do you think? Well, yes, I absolutely have to agree with Leslie. Um, a mom never needs permission to breastfeed, yet if she knows she's welcomed and encouraged, um, it just makes it that much easier for her to you know, not have to worry about it, and she's in a worry-free zone. So what a cool idea. 
Yeah. And this isn't the first article that I've seen on this. I think there have been some places in the United States that, you know, have done this as well. And I don't know if you guys are you know out there listening and you have a store or something like that, or if you know of places that welcome breastfeeding and pumping moms with open arms, it might be a really cool idea to just say, hey, have you ever thought about putting a little sign out there? Because, yeah, I don't know. You know, the moms may not know if they're just passing by, you know, and they don't already know that a store is committed to something like this. They may never know, right? Right? So such a great idea. Uh, again, we'll post it to our Facebook page if you guys want to check it out. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So today we're talking about a topic that I believe is somewhat controversial. We are talking about moms who are unable to breastfeed their babies. And when do you just stop trying? You know, when do you just kind of put it aside despite, you know, your valiant efforts and despite your passion for breastfeeding? When do you just say enough is enough? So our expert is Christine Toth. She is a registered dietitian and an international board certified lactation consultant. Christine, welcome to the Boop Group. Hi, Sunny. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yay. Well, we're happy to have you. And, you know, like I said, you know, when I was kind of introducing the topic, I do feel like this is a little bit taboo, mainly because we're admitting that sometimes, you know, it is in a mom's best interest to stop trying to breastfeed. Do you think this is a controversial topic, Christine? Well, yes, it certainly brings up a good point. I would have to say yes and no. While it can be controversial, nearly every breastfeeding journey really does need support. And if breastfeeding isn't working, uh, sometimes the mom just needs help giving herself permission not to breastfeed, to let go. Um, And especially in cases if breastfeeding is ever doing more harm than good, there's actually an important part to understanding the process of letting go. So there's there's always two sides to the story. Of course. So let's talk about letting go. You know, why is it important for moms to let go of these goals? Honestly, I've talked to women that have pictured themselves breastfeeding their whole lives. You know, when they had little babies, baby, you know, baby dolls were at the breast kind of thing. You know, and we have in our head before we go into, you know, childbirth and everything, we've got this picture usually of how we expect things to turn out and it it doesn't always turn out that way. So why is it sometimes good to just let go of that when things don't turn out as planned. Sure, sure. No, it's, it's such an important topic. And letting go, when a mom is able to let go, it really enables her to focus on this new baby that she has. Um, the other side of it is, is it helps her to heal and it helps her to move on and focus on what she can do for her baby. Um, if a mom's holding on to these disappointing feelings of what she can't achieve and what's not working, uh, sometimes it can lead to even bigger problems like postpartum depression. So letting go is is absolutely key sometimes and understanding when the time is right is part of the process. All right. So Leslie, we learned in the intro that you have tried this a couple times and it didn't work out the way you would hope. So can you share a little bit about your experience? Absolutely. Um, So with my first daughter, she was born 
in an emergency induction situation after I had a complication at the end of my pregnancy. And everything went smoothly, except during my epidural, they punctured burra, they call it, and I had a spinal headache for the next five days, resulting in excruciating pain if I sat up, which as you may imagine, you need to do when attempting to breastfeed. So really right from the start, every time I would sit up to breastfeed, I would associate that with excruciating pain, not even in my breasts, which happened as well. And it just kind of spiraled down from there. In addition to that, despite looking like there should be an all-you-can-eat buffet on my chest, there was not. My supply was impacted, I think, probably by the negative associations that I had, although I don't know how much of that is medically proven or just in my own head. But I have flat nipples, which along with my daughter's shoddy latch (laughs) caused us to have a bit of, you know, we just had problems right from the start. So I tried the contact nipple shield to make it better, but that was just one more thing to wash along with bottles that I was using to supplement because I wasn't making enough. And Time out that she was eight pounds, eight when she was born. So she was a big girl that needed more than I could give her. And even if it had been the most perfect journey, I'm still not sure that I would have been producing enough for her. So um, I was supplementing right from the start. And all of these things kind of contributed, I think, to my spiral into what turned into severe postpartum depression, which was also a little bit of anxiety in there as well, which I think a lot moms suffer from than even realize. So my postpartum anxiety, once there was the parts of the pump and the nipple shield and all of these things to wash and do, it just became too much of an overwhelming process, especially when I was already supplementing to begin with. It just was easier. It got to the point where it was, like um, Christine said, negatively impacting me. And if it had been of love to continue, but once there were that many obstacles to go to jump through, I stopped. And I remember weeping, which was probably the depression, <laughs> and calling my husband and saying... I think I'm going to stop today. Is that okay? Like I needed him to say it was okay. And I don't know why, but I just felt like it had been my plan to try and breastfeed. And I was just in such a state that, you know, he said to me, he said, is it, is it what you want? And I was crying because it's a bittersweet moment to decide that you're going to stop. It is, you wanted to be able to do this thing for your baby. It's one of the first things you can do. And those moments when it was sort of working, when she was latched on, we had lovely bonding moments, you know, and I did want that to happen. And we decided to, to end there. And I never looked back. It was literally, I cried that last feeding and then stopped. And it felt like a ton had been lifted off my shoulders, a huge weight. So that was my first breastfeeding journey. (laughs) And then when my second daughter was born, I, again, valiant effort. I got a pump and this time it was an exciting free benefit from my new Affordable Care Act, which was great. Um, And I think that's such a huge perk for women and it makes it so much easier to jump into breastfeeding if you're able to. So I had my pump ready and I had all my supplies and I, again, thought it was going great. And the lactation consultant showed up and looked at me and said, oh my goodness, stop right now. She's like, I've never even seen nipples look like that. And she said, I don't know what's happening. And she looked at my daughter. And meanwhile, yes, it had hurt, but people told me it hurt. So I thought we were doing okay, despite wincing every time she latched. And literally, she looked in her mouth and she has lip tie and I could have an operation, you know, have it snipped and then maybe she would be able to breastfeed. But with your nipples, I'm not even sure that it would work. So that was the end of our breastfeeding right there. Um, She was just a few days old when I stopped doing that, but I committed to pumping. 
because I had somewhat of a supply. Um, and I pumped, like I said, until my help that I had on hand because of the depression and the anxiety. So I gave her a month of, it was pretty much half and half breast milk and formula. And I, again, never looked back. It was just the right decision for us to be the best that we could be. I'm I'm curious, Leslie, with both of your experiences, did you get to a point where people were offering you advice like, well, before you quit, you know, did you try this? Did you try that? And I know you, you know, sought the help of a lactation consultant with your second, but did you get anyone else offering you that quote unquote free advice? <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody. I mean, I have so many friends that breastfed successfully and Everyone else was like, oh, just flip her around or hold her this way or make a sandwich with your... I don't even know what they were telling me to do, but it was not... It was not working out. But yes, no, everyone wanted to help and I wanted the help to a point. And then what I wanted was the the out. And the second time I didn't even look for that. The second time I told myself and my husband, you know, I, I just knew that it was time to to stop that it was doing, again, more harm than good. And at the end of the day, she needed me to be at my best. And if getting frustrated by the pump and not having the time and it giving me anxiety of, oh, I have to pump her and then still feed her a bottle. And then you know, it just adds a whole layer onto it. Christine, I know moms mean well. You know, we're trying to help out other moms. And especially if breastfeeding is, you know, been a little bit easier for us. You know, we, we try, we just try to help, but why up to a point, like Leslie said, she wanted help. And then it got to a point where any words after that were really doing more harm than good. So is that what you find as well? You know, as far as moms trying to help other people and when, when does it turn bad? Okay. That's a great question. And, and Leslie highlighted it so well, but, um, through both of her stories, she made every possible effort. She went you know, she went to the point of pumping and um, her birth story, especially with her first child, her body had been through so much at that point. She was absolutely exhausted. And oftentimes when a mom is starting to come to the point where she's realizing that, you know, she might have feelings of resentment for the baby and she feels like she's not a good mom, she's exhausted at that point. And to have one more person recommend mother's milk tea and drinking more water, um, it's only going to exhaust her that much more. So at a certain point, it's it's best to kind of turn that off just as Leslie did. If you are the support person, um, one of the things I always try to do is try asking open-ended questions instead of making recommendations or just giving advice where it's not asked for. Things like, oh, what measures have you tried? Um, What have you explored already? And that way, sometimes there's an underlying issue or a story behind breastfeeding's not working. And oftentimes mom has tried pretty much everything and then some to get breastfeeding to work. And so, yeah, there's, there is that, that kind of that critical point where the mom herself can, can choose to turn off, you know, social media, choose to turn off maybe relatives that are pressuring her and just focus on what's best for her baby. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to break down the most common reasons moms are unable to breastfeed. So we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back. We're talking about moms who are unable to breastfeed. And Christine Toss, she's a registered dietitian in IBCLC. She is our expert. So let's go through, Christine, some of the common reasons moms might not be able to breastfeed. And I realize these aren't all isolated incidents, right? I mean, it could be that mom is experiencing several, several of these situations, perhaps, that are kind of leading up to this. So let's just go through some of them and learn a little bit more about them. So the first one we have on our list here is... Uh, Milk production, right? So not having enough milk, high enough milk supply. Right, exactly. And this can be for multiple reasons. Um, It's actually uh, a simple term for (laughs) complex issues, if you will. This can be preglandular issues, um, which are more hormonal, things like hypo or hyperthyroidism, thyroides as well, which is an inflammation of the thyroid gland. Also things like a retained placenta after the birth. Leslie herself mentioned a traumatic birth, uh, any history of insulin resistance, PCOS, infertility issues in the past, a prolonged pushing stage, um, multiple medications, anything that's going to interfere with her breastfeeding hormones, as well as glandular issues. Things like hypoplasia, which is a insufficient glandular tissue. Maybe she didn't develop during puberty. Maybe she didn't experience any breast changes during the pregnancy. Other glandular issues might might also be things like breast surgery or breast um, augmentation or reduction. And anything that interferes with the glandular tissue can also interfere with the mom's milk production. Leslie, how would you rate your milk supply with both of your babies? If you had to rate it like on a scale of one to 10, what would you give it? I'd give it a three, maybe four. I really just never had, you know, I would hear stories of people, milk was just coming out all over the place and they're spraying their babies in the face. I was like, I don't understand what you're even saying. Like that just, I never had these experiences (laughs) and I would get so excited. I would pump for literally 20 minutes on both sides and put it together and have like two and a half ounces. I was like, yes, that's almost enough for half of the feeding next time. You know, it was so, again, negatively associates the entire action for me. (laughs) It was just, if if I had been pumping and had a supply that was enough or enough to freeze, which is, I don't even understand that people getting spare freezers for their extra breast milk was nothing that I ever needed to get into. Um, but if that had been the case, I would have, I would have forged through, I think, but it just beats you down even further, I think. Yeah. You know, even I thought I had a a lack of supply or low milk supply, um, with my first two kids. So I, I have four kids all together and my, my first two, I now don't think it was a supply issue, but if you would ask me why I stopped breastfeeding, I stopped breastfeeding them at about six months, and I wanted to breastfeed longer than that, but I would have I would have chalked it up as a supply issue, but what's interesting is my next two babies are twins and never had a problem with them, so now I'm kind of looking back going, I don't think that was a supply issue, and I, I think this is one of those things where absolutely there are, you know, for the reasons that Christine mentioned, there are plenty of women out there that struggle with supply issues, but I also feel like sometimes this is kind of misdiagnosed, Christine. You know, a lot of people think they have a low milk supply and it may be some other reasons, you know, that they're not able to breastfeed. But do you feel like this is kind of the go-to that a lot of people, you know, kind of point to as the reason 
Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of times what ends up happening is moms will doubt their supply and inadvertently, um, or it might be other influences, maybe it's a family member as well, they'll interfere with nature. And rather than being a primary insufficient milk supply issue, um, it kind of transitions into secondary causes that also interfere with her full production. And so one of the things that, that a lot of moms don't quite realize in those first few days of life is that's when her body is getting set up to achieve its peak milk supply. And she, she should achieve her peak supply by around the first three to four weeks of life. So anything we do to interfere with that process, whether it's in the first few hours or the first few weeks, sometimes that can affect her overall supply later on down the road. So we talked about milk supply. Let's talk a little bit about what we're calling transfer. So this could be a couple of things we talked about before, poor latch. We talked about uh, the status of our nipples. We have inverted nipples, flat nipples, uh, tongue tie, things of that sort. Sure, sure. So, so after the birth, you know, coming in through the pregnancy and then coming into the birth, Breast milk is produced based on hormonal issues. It's controlled by the endocrine system. And then uh, shortly after the birth, within hours after the birth, it switches over to a, to a local control, a supply and demand. And so if the, if the breastfeeding is not working um, and the, the baby's not transferring the milk, maybe it's a latch issue, like Leslie mentioned, uh, flat or inverted nipples, anything that interferes with a poor latch that can then affect the supply and demand and um, and also interrupt the mom achieving her full potential for milk supply. You know, Leslie, you were talking about uh, the f- uh, the status of your nipples, <laughs> and it reminded me – I love how open we are on the show. Um, <laughs> it reminded me of when right after I had my first baby, I was delivered in a hospital, and I never really thought about my nipples all that much, honestly. And the nurse – or I, I'm honestly, I'm not sure if it was a nurse or a lactation consultant, but, you know, she's checking out my latch and stuff. And uh, the baby really – you know, my son really wasn't latching very well, and she's like, Oh my, she took one look at my nipples and she's like, I'll be right back. And she comes back with a nipple shield. And I'm like, what is this? I mean, you know, and it's it's one of those things. And I kind of, while I was happy to have something to help my son in the beginning, no one ever told me that nipple shield is only supposed to be temporary. So I used it throughout my, uh, you know, first, whatever, four months of exclusively breastfeeding him. And he would not nurse without it. And then when I tried to transition off, it was kind of a nightmare. And that's when we ended up supplementing and supplementing turned into just feeding in bottles of formula. So, but I I understand the whole nipple thing. And I know that that was a struggle for you. And I know you talked a little bit about tongue tie. And uh, so it sounds like that this whole transfer thing was definitely an issue for you too, Leslie, right? 100%. Um, If I look back and look in my daughter's mouth now, my older daughter, I think she also has tongue tie a bit, which is something that is easily fixed. I have a best friend who just literally two weeks ago had her son's tongue tie clipped and now they're happily breastfeeding and doing great for me. And the lactation consultant recommended that the second time to have my younger daughter's tongue and lip. Her upper lip is also a shortened. It's a short labial frenula. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But to me, I knew that it wasn't that important to make her go through a procedure 
to have breastfeeding work. Now, for my best friend, it was. She knew everything else was working. You know, for them to say to me, look, we can do this procedure on your daughter, but we're still not sure you're going to be successful. Then there was no reason to go through that. I didn't think so. We didn't. Uh, The next thing on our list here is what we're calling utilization issues, which basically is uh, when infants, when the babies aren't able to tolerate mom's milk. And honestly, uh, Christine, is this kind of a, is it a common thing? It's not something that I hear about too much. No, it's, it's actually pretty rare. There's very rare cases of congenital lactose intolerance. This is actually a genetic trait that the baby would inherit from their parents. Um, Galactosemia is less than one in 100,000 births but it's a breakdown of a liver enzyme. So the baby literally can't digest mom's milk. Um, And then of course, special needs kiddos. These are the Downs babies. I mentioned cerebral palsy, cleft lip, cleft palate. Some of those, some of the special needs babies with intervention, breastfeeding can, can sometimes be improved. But with something like galactosemia, the, the baby system literally can't tolerate mom's mom's milk. And it is very rare. It's not it's not the common issues, the transfer and the production issues that we tend to see more often. But um, in those cases, too, that mom still might struggle, as Sunny mentioned, in, with her early desire to breastfeed and having to figure out how to let go of not being able to breastfeed. So, Christine, I just have a quick question. I have a lot of friends who have cut out dairy from their diets and more than it's at more than one in 100,000. I don't know. <laughs> so it's definitely a bunch of people who have stopped eating dairy because they thought it was irritating their child. I, I just wonder if that's really true. If it's really true. So, so that, you know, that Sunny, that's a good idea for another topic someday, but um, that's, so when a mom's diet affects the baby's tolerance to her breast milk, typically it's recommended not to change the diet. If it's not broken, don't fix it. If baby's tolerating everything in mom's diet, there's really no need for her to cut out certain foods. However, rarely, um, and sometimes it's if the mom actually has any reason for an immunocompromised system, um, if, her, if she has any kind of like a leaky gut syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, what actually happens is certain foods, um, certain gassy foods, dairy is another one, soy is another one. If there, there are tiny perforations within her intestine, and if these foods leak through and into her breast milk, sometimes it can cause the baby uh, certain amounts of, I wouldn't say intolerance, but possibly extra gassiness. I know moms say that their their babies have runnier stools or the baby's uncomfortable, like a bloated tummy would be another sign. And so my recommendation, I always kind of go through and explain the elimination diet and if it's helping her, absolutely. If it's helping the baby and she notices, um, a, a, you know, an instant improvement, then absolutely. And it might not be that those moms need to cut out dairy forever, but maybe they need to cut out dairy for a few extra months until things start to get, start to improve. And, and she sees that the baby can tolerate the breast milk at that point. Yeah, I'm glad you guys brought this up. We actually have done a couple episodes um, on this. So we did one on dairy intolerances. We've talked about nutrition in general and some stuff like that. So you guys can go to newmommymedia.com and type in some keywords or whatever you're looking for in particular, and and those episodes will pop up for you. So uh, one thing that I know is 
common is family pressure, lack of support, whether that comes from your partner or, you know, other moms, your friends, your family, things of that sort. In fact, we just released an episode about what do you do when your partner doesn't support you in your breastfeeding goals. So um, let's talk a little bit about that, Christine, and how that can impact everything. Sure, sure. So it kind of goes both ways. Sometimes the family can pressure the mom into giving a bottle so that they can participate in feeding. Other times, even before the birth, the maybe it's the spouse or mother-in-law or the mom felt pressured into breastfeeding and it was something she was unsure about from the get-go. And um, that's an interesting case as well because it's like she never really felt comfortable breastfeeding in the first place. And she was doing it almost to please everyone around her. And so in those cases as well, sometimes mom just needs to per- permission to really do what she wants to do and what she feels is best for herself and for her baby. I mentioned, you know, avoiding things like depression and preventing her from resenting her baby um, every time the baby's hungry and ready to eat. So yes, lack of support is another, you know, another important key thing when, when moms are, you know, faced with this question of when to give up on breastfeeding as well. So yeah, and Leslie, I thought it was really interesting when you said that, you know, you asked your husband, is it okay? Can I just, can I not do this anymore? So obviously that support is important to you as well. 100%. And he responded in the exact right way. He said, you know, if you're sure that's what you want, then of course. He's like, but think about it. So just knowing that he would be okay with me stop. It was something that I was doing for our baby. So for whatever reason, I needed his okay to stop doing it. I don't know. Yeah, it just... <laughs> didn't occur to me to just stop and do what was best for me without consulting him and knowing that I had his blessing to do that. And the second time, I didn't need it. <laughs> the second time I knew it was whatever would get yeah. us through. Christine, the next on our list is history of sexual assault, which a lot of people may not think about necessarily unless this is something you've personally experienced. Again, we, we did an episode on this too, so I know a little bit more about it. But how can that impact breastfeeding and pumping goals? Yeah, sure. So sometimes, you know, obviously, if the if the woman has had any history of sexual assault or abuse growing up, it can be a really hard thing for her to bring herself to breastfeed after that trauma. Sometimes actually breastfeeding can help her with the healing process. But other times it's just too hard for her to breastfeed. And, um, you know, some of those moms are able to pump okay, but putting baby to breast just isn't comfortable for them. But if they do have history, they shouldn't be pressured into having to breastfeed. You know, they need to also give themselves permission if if it's just not going to work for them and for their baby. And depression is next on our list here. Leslie, I know this is something that that you talk about and and something that you personally went through as well. Absolutely. So I think of a chicken and egg question postpartum depression or any real maternal mental health issue and breastfeeding. Some people will tell you that because they were depressed, they couldn't breastfeed. And some people will say they couldn't breastfeed and that made them depressed. There are also people, postpartum anxiety and OCD are things that are lesser known, but it was definitely a factor for me that when she was breastfeeding, I didn't know how much milk she was getting. So if my daughter was fussy 20 minutes later, but she had fed for, I don't know, half an hour, I had no idea how many ounces she had drank. And I needed to know those numbers for my own sanity. For whatever reason, that's what I clung to, is knowing how much milk she had drank. And with formula, I could pour it in, mix it up, and I knew exactly, 
I would write down, I, I think I still have the notebook where I wrote down every single bottle she drank for the first, I, w- I won't even tell you how long of her life. <laughs> um, but I, I, cl- I needed to know that. So people that are struggling with anxiety and OCD, not knowing what the reason could be for fussiness and thinking it wasn't latched correctly, maybe she didn't eat enough, is she hungry, and then trying to feed more, and then that leads to clogged things or cracked things. I don't know. I never got to that point. But I think that depression, anxiety, OCD, and breastfeeding, it's a complicated balance. Yeah, absolutely. And Christine, I feel like this is one of those things, a lot of times this depression isn't diagnosed, right? It's something that we experience and we just think it's part of motherhood and we kind of just push it to the side and it could be sabotaging our, you know, breastfeeding goals. Yeah, absolutely. It sometimes gets glazed over or kind of misdiagnosed as baby blues. Oh, it's just the hormones after the pregnancy. But as Leslie mentioned, um, postpartum depression and breastfeeding do go hand in hand. And there are a lot of hormones going on after the delivery. So um, it's it's absolutely understandable that um, one can influence the other. And especially if she had her mind set on something and it didn't work out the way she wanted it to, it can lead to depression. And then of course, with depression um, and with the added stress and anxiety that Leslie mentioned, that can inhibit the mom's milk ejection reflex or her letdown. And so that can cause more problems with milk production. And so really, truly the two kind of feed off of each other. All right. So the last one on our list is medication and illness. And Christine, what specifically are we talking about when it comes to medication? Definitely. So certain medications can actually suppress milk supply. Sometimes moms don't realize it, but um, receiving the epidural, a prolonged epidural during the delivery can um, sometimes delay the lactogenesis process or the milk production process after the birth, as well as, you know, certain pain medications, as Leslie mentioned, after the birth. Most medications won't, are not contraindicated with breastfeeding, but um, some medications can cause her to be sleepy and not breastfeed, you know, as, as regularly or as frequently as she should be. And so medications can definitely interfere not only with the supply and demand, but also with her mood and, and her success with, with breastfeeding and and production. So. And Leslie, you mentioned you were on some medication as well, right? For the spinal headache, I was taking Tylenol with caffeine. That was an exciting, so caffeine is what can help heal your Spinal headache, caffeine, like much like you take Excedrin, right? Has caffeine in it to make your headache go away. So there I was chugging Mountain Dew, literally cans of Mountain Dew, and then trying to breastfeed my baby who wouldn't then go to sleep and had colic and reflux and all these things. And none of us put it together that here I was feeding her caffeinated breast milk. <laughs> so yeah, what does caffeine do to the breast milk or what does it do? Is it, is it just a matter of keeping the, the babies, you know, more active, Christine, or what does it do? So caffeine would more play a role for the mom in reducing the headache, um, but it does transfer into the breast milk. And so if a mom, I always recommend if a mom can wait to, to reintroduce caffeine after the delivery, wait as long, you know, a few weeks at least until she feels like breastfeeding is becoming established. Because just as Leslie mentioned, if the baby is getting caffeine in the breast milk, it can interrupt the baby's process of sleeping and waking to feed and kind of that normal, 
eat, sleep, eat, sleep pattern that the babies tend to do. I, I missed poop in there too. They poop. In- <laughs> oh, they do. But if the baby is overstimulated as well, then it can also interfere. So what I usually recommend for caffeine, and, and poor Leslie didn't know this, like she said, she figured it out after the fact, but if the mom really does want a cup of coffee, um, it's always important to try to nurse the baby first, have the cup of coffee after she nurses, and then you know, wait to breastfeed again. Um, so the baby's not overstimulated. Yeah. We talk about this as I'm literally finishing up a cup of coffee (laughs) and I'm like, and I did breastfeed my girls earlier, but they're older. They're older. They're they're awake no matter what I do. (laughs) Okay. So we've gone through our list here and obviously there's other things that could affect breastfeeding. We're just trying to, to kind of, you know, give you guys an idea of some of the common ones that we see. So Christine, what, what should moms do once they realize they can't breastfeed? Obviously that may come as a shock. That may not want to admit to it. They, you know, may want to keep pushing on, right? But what what are some of their options if they're still committed to providing breast milk for their babies? So as we mentioned, some of the issues, the production and the transfer issues with early intervention, a lot of those issues can be improved. Um, and especially if it's any kind of a hormonal issue, a referral to an endocrinologist can certainly help with supply issues. And seeking help from a good lactation consultant early on will will definitely help with any kind of transfer issues. But if breastfeeding is not working and the mom is starting to come to the realization, there are still options for her. And it's important to know about donor milk as an option. A good lactation consultant can put her in touch with a milk bank in her area and discuss ways um, to help the mom achieve the bond that she desired Um, from the get-go. And sometimes that's the part of breastfeeding that the mom so desires. And um, certain things like skin-to-skin with with the baby or using a supplemental nursing system, even if it's with donor milk, that mom still deserves credit. She's breastfeeding and and starting to begin the healing process, maybe going to a support group, maybe seeking help from um, a non-judgmental friend or family member or a good lactation consultant, like I mentioned, there are options for her so that at the end of the day, no matter how that mom feeds her baby, she needs to know she's an amazing mom. If breastfeeding is something that a mom wants to do and it's just not working out, like we said earlier, it's about giving ourselves permission to just say, we tried, we tried, we tried to do what we wanted to do and it didn't work out. I mean, honestly, I, I associate a lot of this, you know, because we have our, our sister show, Preggy Pals, which is all about pregnancy and delivering your baby. And I hear it all the time on that show. Listen, I went in with this birth plan and I came out with a totally different experience. And there's really nothing you can do sometimes. There's, it, you know, you tried. You gave it your all. And, and so many times, I think as moms, we just have to give ourselves a break. It's just a break. That is advice. So I'm a, a peer advocate, essentially, for moms who have maternal mental health issues. And I will speak to pregnant women all the time and just tell them that you have no control. You have no con- birth plans, I think, are like taboo. They should not even be allowed. Sure, <laughs> right. you, you know, like there's no you can't say what you want. You don't know what's going to happen. You are absolutely not in control of that. And this is the same kind of thing. You know, you can take as many steps as you can, but if it's not in the cards, it's not in the cards and I think women need the permission to be okay with that. 
Absolutely. Ladies, great conversation. Thanks so much for being part of our show today. If you're a member of the Boob Group Club, then be sure to check out the bonus content for this episode, where we'll discuss ways friends and family can help moms through this time, if they're having a rough time accepting that they can't breastfeed their babies. So for more information about our club, you can visit our website at newmommymedia.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, so before we wrap up our show today, we have a mama hack. I love this segment because it was actually an idea from a listener. A listener kept uh, sending us different ideas of um, what worked for her and breastfeeding and pumping. And I thought, hey, we got to make a segment out of this. So hence mama hacks. And uh, this one actually comes from Amanda. And this is in partnership with the Smart Mom app. So if you haven't checked out Smart Mom yet, it's a free download. I encourage you to do so. It's a great forum for moms to be able to help and uh, support other moms. And it's not just about breastfeeding. There are breastfeeding topics up there, but it could be anything related to pregnancy. You know, you've got a toddler or a baby, anything within those first couple years of life. This, I think this app is really great for. And there's opportunities to win prizes uh, depending on how much you participate. So if you like to help out other moms and you want to, you know, maybe take a break from Facebook for a while, <laughs> this app is a really cool one to check out. So Amanda posted this on the Smart Mom app, and this is what she said about her mama hack. She says, I exclusively pump, and my app has been a lifesaver. So the app she's referring to isn't the Smart Mom app. It is the app that she uses to track her breast milk and her pumping storage and stuff like that. Um, She continues on. She says, it helped me keep track not only when I pump, but when my little one gets a bottle, when I change her diaper, and it even has features that show uh, volume pumped by day versus the volume that I fed my my baby. So just a quick little tip there from Amanda. And I know I used a couple different apps in the beginning when I was um, breastfeeding. They're really helpful, I find, in the beginning when you're really tracking all the, the poops and the peas and all that kind of stuff. And you're really trying to get breastfeeding off to a good start. And we'd like to talk about apps a lot on the show. So we actually have a section on our website where you can go and see some of our app reviews. So if you guys are thinking about downloading an app that helps you track some stuff, I encourage you guys to check that out. So that wraps up our show for today. Thanks for listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, Newbies for Newly Postpartum Moms, Parent Savers for Moms and Dads with Toddlers, and Twin Talks for Parents of Multiples. This is The Boob Group, where moms know breast. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare provider. How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. 
If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.